Writing is hard in the same ways that being a human is hard. There's no template to tell us the one proven correct way to do it, how to live our lives, or how to navigate our writing. And in writing, as in life, we're operating within constraints that we didn't choose. Our guest today is Michelle Boyd, and her oracle for us is the question, what metaphor describes your experience of the writing process? A metaphor will give you lots of pieces of information. It'll tell you what the phases are. It'll tell you what work you do in each phase. It will also tell you what your barriers are. What are the things that tend to stand in your way in particular phases? And it will tell you, how do I get over those? So it's designed to help uncover what you know about your writing process. When we identify a metaphor that describes our experience of the writing process, that metaphor becomes a mental model, a navigation tool that we can use to locate ourselves within our writing process and move through it and around within it with purpose. A metaphor works for the same reason that a metaphor is useful in any other human context, because we humans make meaning through comparison, connection, and relationship. You're listening to the Oracles of Academia podcast, where we are imagining our way into the future of scholarship through creativity, collaboration, and courage. Each episode brings you a story or conversation that yields a conceptual tool, an oracle of sorts, that helps you connect with your genius and bring your full self to your work so that you can find your way forward. When the ancients needed a way to cut through the confusion and make a decision, they would seek out the cryptic speeches of a priestess in a mountain temple. Today, an oracle can be any conceptual device that helps us perceive something of how the universe works so that we can orient ourselves and discern what to do next. The magic of an oracle is that it takes on meaning from how we choose to apply it. I'm your host, Margie Thomas, founder of Scholarship, an incubator where scholars gather to support each other in creating the most fascinating scholarship of tomorrow. How do we move forward in a creative process that, by definition, defies step-by-step how-tos? How do we measure progress when the work is inherently recursive and iterative? These are questions that my guest, Michelle Boyd, has been wrestling with for years, and she has some exciting insights to share with us today. Back in 2012, Michelle was an associate professor of African American Studies at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Like so many of us, she found writing often painful and found it nearly impossible to stick to deadlines. She eventually figured out a powerful strategy to orient herself within her work. Specifically, she developed a detailed metaphor that drew parallels between her process of conceiving and developing and writing and revising and relinquishing a manuscript to the process by which a human baby is gestated. Using this metaphor, Michelle was able to more effectively plan out all of her tasks in her writing process, decide on many deadlines that she could actually stick to with accurate time estimates, and she was able to better tailor her efforts at any given moment in the writing process to where she actually was within that process. Michelle realized that this strategy could be helpful to other scholars, so she laid it all out in an article published in 2012 entitled How We Write, understanding scholarly writing through metaphor. In her article, Michelle laid out how any scholar can identify their own writing metaphor that captures their own particular way of experiencing the writing process and moving through it. 
Michelle explains in the article how to develop your metaphor and how to use it to plan out your tasks, your deadlines, and in general, just move through the writing process with a greater sense of clarity and purpose and peace. What we're going to be talking about today is a book that Michelle is working on that expands on that metaphor article from 2012. In our conversation today, you'll hear all about how Michelle is expanding on this concept of a writing metaphor and laying out what scholars need to know in order to use this technique to take ownership of their writing processes. That 2012 article is linked in our show notes. And as far as the book, if you want to make sure to know when it comes out, sign up for Michelle's email list on her website, inkwellretreats.org. Our conversation begins with Michelle helping us understand what makes writing so hard so that we can then understand why we get stuck. This stuckness is the problem that the writing metaphor can help us with. After we talk about these challenges with writing, Michelle is going to elaborate for us on this powerful technique of the writing metaphor. And then finally, we explore how all of these challenges and opportunities that we talk about in the writing process connect to the scholarly enterprise more broadly and to the, to the very human traits and virtues that we can cultivate in ourselves in order to not just create powerful scholarship, but also ultimately transform our institutions for the better. Okay, so first let's hear from Michelle the three reasons why scholarly writing is so hard. She's going to lay out these challenges for us the way that she lays them out in her forthcoming book. One set of factors that makes writing challenging is the the difficulty of the cognitive work that we do. So it's just really hard to write. Like if we go and look at what people say about what our brain is actually doing when we write, it's a lot of work. So that's one thing. I also talk about the work of having to constantly be working at something that we are trying to master, but never really can. So we come into graduate school with very, most, most people with strong writing skills, but there's a whole set of genres that we need to master and we have to keep learning them over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. And so I talk about what a genre is and how they change over time and how that makes our work even more difficult than we imagined. So you got the cognitive challenge, you got the the constant effort at mastery. Mm-hmm. And then the third set of challenges I talk about, you have all of these emotional challenges in writing and virtually no training or support in graduate programs on how to handle those emotional mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. And so I talk at length about what they are, how they manifest themselves, and my primary goal here is to illustrate that the context that we operate in as academics is especially emotionally challenging and to talk about the ways that we respond to that context without without creating an argument that suggests that individual sort of weakness or incapacity is the real problem here. Right. So Mm -hmm. I really am trying to lay out the context in full so that we understand that it's not about whether or not somebody's smart enough, if they're working hard enough, if they quote unquote get it, 
you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not what's happening. What's happening is their capacity is raised or lowered by the level of challenge in the context that they're in. After Michelle explains the three reasons why writing is so hard, the inherent cognitive difficulty, the social and institutional challenge of having to master complicated genres, and the emotional challenges, Michelle says that these challenges are exacerbated by the fact that we don't talk about them. If we can start to recognize that it's normal for writing to feel hard and uncomfortable, then maybe it won't feel quite so hard and uncomfortable. We don't talk about writing. We don't talk about what it's like with each other. And we certainly, if we do talk about writing, don't talk about the bad parts. And so part of what I want this book to do, and what I feel like I might be hammering people over the head with throughout these chapters is, Everything that is uncomfortable about writing is totally normal. You get up and you don't want to do your writing or you write for an hour and a half and realize that you've been writing the same thing over and over again, that, you, that you're working on the same paragraph that you were working on two days ago. This is just part of what happens when people are doing an incredibly difficult task. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to feel that you are failing, that you are somehow not cut out for this work. I can't tell you how many times I hear scholars say they just don't think they're cut out for this work, that they didn't deserve their PhD. You know, all of these feelings of shame and guilt and um, disappointment, we are premised on the idea that writing should just basically flow elegantly, smoothly from our fingertips. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we really judge ourselves based on the facades and appearances and illusions all around us. You know, I mean, for you to expose the inner world of the scholarly life is just so important. I think. I I think you're right. That is exactly what we do. We judge ourselves and, and, There are also certain patterns in how the professional socialization and the professional evaluation process go that encourage certain forms of shaming or guilt and self-doubt. And I want to say to people, Everybody has these feelings sometimes, but even more importantly, I want to say, look and see how that response is partly manufactured by the system that you're in so that you can understand that that's not you. That's not who you are. It's how you are responding to the, to the structure of academic life. Michelle lays out the challenges of academic writing so beautifully. And just talking honestly about those challenges does help us deal with them. But Michelle doesn't stop there. She also helps us figure out what kinds of tools will help us address these challenges proactively. Next, I asked her to tell us about the book that she is currently working on for scholarly writers and how the initial book idea emerged from her own struggles with writing. The title of the book is Becoming the Writer You Already Are, An Academic's Guide to Discovering Your Writing Process. I want to help scholars not necessarily have to learn a bunch of new things, but learn how to uncover and reconnect with a way of writing that 
is probably what they either used to do or do when things are moving well and they're not feeling stressed out about it and they just kind of can hop into their work. How this started was when I was a junior faculty member, I kept finding that I did not meet my deadlines. And what I ended up doing was identifying what were the different parts of the process of creating a manuscript and what shape did the, was the manuscript in, in each of these steps of the process. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I had laid that out that I was able to come up with estimates of how long each thing took. And what was really useful about that was one, I realized when each step of the process, I'm doing different things. The second realization I had was there are some steps to <laughs> publishing a manuscript that I never think about. I never account for. And for me, they were all that stuff at the end. And then it would be an extra two, three, four weeks, depending on, you know, exactly how much work I had to do or, or how many hours I had that week to do my writing. So I realized that that idea that there is a writing process that everyone goes through and that there is a way we could sort of identify what our particular version of that looked like, that that might be something useful for other people to to do on their own. And so the specific method I ended up using was coming up with a writing metaphor, something that I can use to sort of encapsulate what the essence of the writing experience is for me and then Mm -hmm. break that metaphor down into each of its parts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, what the book is, is sort of saying, hey, you get stuck. You don't know how to move forward in your writing. Here are some of the things that keep us stuck. Here's what stuck looks like. And here is a technique that you can use for getting yourself unstuck. Being stuck isn't the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's very uncomfortable. We don't like it, but it's, it's something that happens when you write. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like nobody wants to stop at a stoplight when they're driving, but that's sort of just what it's like to get in the car. So what is the difference between being stuck and being blocked? I think being blocked assumes that you're sitting at your desk and you can't figure out what to say. And stuck looks a lot different. Stuck can be happening when people are actually at their desk, but it's also something that can, that can keep you from even getting to the desk to begin with. Right. And sometimes stuck involves a lot of writing, but the difference between being blocked in our, you know, kind of conventional sense and being stuck when you're writing is you can be producing a lot of prose, but not actually moving your manuscript forward. Mm -hmm. That you're doing things that actually are designed to kind of make you feel better to address whatever worries you have about the manuscript as opposed to actually moving it forward. So let me give you an example. One of the kinds of stuck I go through in the first chapter is what I call endless writing. 
Endless writing is someone who is writing and writing and writing and writing and will not submit their manuscript. They don't need to add any more prose. They do not need to make yeah. any more any more corrections. They don't need to have any more elaborations. They don't need to weave anything else in. Nothing needs to be fixed. Their editor has told them, I'm ready to receive this book. Everyone who reads it is saying it's ready to go and they keep writing. That is someone who comes to their desk, maybe sits down every single day and works very hard, but they're stuck. Their manuscript isn't going anywhere because they can't let it go. So that's very different, right? From somebody who, mm-hmm. right? You are just banging your head up against the wall. You want to get something down, but you don't know what to say. You don't know where to start. You can't figure out how what you have to say is different from what has already been said. That's very different. Does that make that makes sense. Yeah. So being stuck, it's like spinning your wheels. Like you're, you're, you're exerting a lot of effort and you're moving in a sense, but you're just not getting anywhere. Exactly. You're not moving geographically. Exactly. You're like a stationary bike. The reason why it's so important that we recognize the difference between being blocked and being stuck is that each of these challenges requires different kinds of responses from us. When we're blocked, it's obvious nothing is coming out. So we can deploy whatever strategies are appropriate to that kind of moment in the process. We can take a break, or we can gather more inputs or more information to get our ideas flowing again. Or we can try out a writing prompt just to get some words down on the page. Or we can try free writing, where we just let the words pour out of us without judgment, without a plan, without a strategy. Any of these techniques can help us get through that moment of just simply being blocked in our process. But when we're stuck in our writing, a deeper challenge is at play. We're exerting a lot of effort, we're generating a lot of words, but we're not moving forward in our project. And we're never going to finish the project if we don't actually recognize that we're stuck and spinning our wheels and intentionally change our approach to how we're applying our effort and attention in that moment to get ourselves through it. We'll find out how a writing metaphor helps us get unstuck after our break. The writing process can often make us feel lost, lonely, and frustrated. Yet, we have so much power to shape our experience of creating new scholarship once we can understand how the process works. Inside Scholarshape, a virtual incubator for scholars from across disciplines and around the world, you get access to a complete conceptual framework for creating fascinating scholarship. It's called the Story Argument Model and you can use it to navigate your writing process with confidence and create your most powerful scholarship yet. Scholarshape is full of kind and brilliant scholars who are looking forward to meeting you. Visit scholarshape.com to take a tour of the Scholarshape Incubator and fill out our short application. New members can apply anytime to join us on the first of the next month. We welcome scholars of all research fields and employment status. Can't wait to meet you. The central idea of Michelle's book that she's working on right now is that she's laying out a technique for dealing with stuckness. Specifically, she shows us how to identify a metaphor that captures our overall experience of the writing process so that we can understand that process in a more holistic way and locate ourselves within that process at any given moment. And and different people experience the writing process differently, move through the phases differently, understand the processes differently, 
And this is why it's so powerful for us to identify our own particular metaphors for the writing process. Having a writing metaphor can help you get unstuck because it helps you identify what kinds of effort are useful at which moments in the process. So by helping us see our process, a writing metaphor empowers us to navigate that process. I realized at some point that part of what people needed to do first is just see process. They just needed to be able to recognize it in themselves and others. You can understand what the stages of the writing process are, and you can develop your own. It's almost like a little map. You can sort of map out your own path through that process by developing a writing metaphor. It's like your personal guidance system or your personal constellation in the sky that you can look to no matter where you are. Exactly. That is Uh, it. I love that personal guidance system. Yes, it's not a GPS. (laughs) mm -hmm. You know, it's a PGS. You're exactly right. Yeah, because it's for terrain that is unmapped. Exactly. You know, I love that so much. Michelle's metaphor for her writing process is the gestation of a human baby. There's the conception phase, when she first discovers the idea for her manuscript. At this point, it's too early for input from other people and too early to commit to specific claims and structures, so she focuses on quickly recording all of her initial thoughts and questions related to the idea in any format, written or oral, so that the idea can start to germinate. Next, there's the fetal development phase of the process, which is when she's fleshing out the idea and letting it grow. In this phase, what's important is generating all of the different parts of the manuscript and gradually bringing them into alignment with one another, while expelling the elements that turn out not to be needed. As Michelle moves through the fetal development phase, she shifts from generating text to weaving and revising it into one cohesive whole. Finally, there's the labor and delivery phase, when Michelle completes the final steps that prepare the manuscript for the world and ultimately hits send. At this phase of the process, what's important is recognizing that the culmination has come. Once a manuscript has been through the full development process and the labor pains have begun, there is no holding back. Painful as it is, the baby must be born. If you read Michelle's full article, which is linked in the show notes to this episode, you'll get the more detailed breakdown of how Michelle's metaphor works. It's super compelling, and you may even find that her metaphor works for you for your writing process, too. For me, the metaphor that I tend to use for my writing is that I'm on an epic quest. I'm traveling through this unmapped realm without a guide, without an instruction manual, with this glittering vision in my head of the treasure that I am seeking to discover, but I'm not totally sure what it looks like or totally sure where it's hidden. I don't know exactly my destination or the route that will get me there, but I get these intimations or hints that help me move toward it moment by moment. I have to improvise. I have to keep up the faith. I have to look to the stars in order to locate and relocate myself in space-time. I stay alert for monsters that I might have to outwit and mirages that I have to avoid. Occasionally, I meet a guide or a sage who has a nugget of wisdom that can help direct my path. And maybe there are even moments when the heavens open up and divine inspiration flows to me. What makes this metaphor so useful to me is that It helps me remember and understand the nature of the difficulty of the process. 
And it helps me remember that this work that I'm doing is not about me specifically. It's about the larger meaning that this work can generate in the world. But let's get back to Michelle. She's going to give us a little more information about what we can do with our writing metaphors once we know what they are, how we can operationalize these powerful, personalized tools. A metaphor will give you lots of pieces of information. It'll tell you sort of what the phases are. It'll tell you what work you do in each phase. It will also tell you what your barriers are. What are the things that you that tend to stand in your way in particular phases? And it will tell you, how do I get over those? And I, of course, don't know what everyone's barrier is, but I do have a sense of, in general, what tends to be the barrier when someone is in the very beginning stage of a writing process, the initiation stage. Well, the principal thing that people do is they just, they dismiss their first thoughts because they're rough, right? They're not polished enough, they're good enough. And so we sort of give short shrift to very good ideas. And the general suggestion I make for that phase of a writing process is you have to deliberately mess up. Nobody wants to mess up. No scholar wants to deliberately write the wrong thing. But I lay out what are a couple things that you can do to deliberately mess up and how do you do it in a way that actually ends up leading to some fruitful work. And the ways that I lay out are sort of graduated. If you really feel like you can't take on the, 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 the work of the big principle I lay out, then here's a starter version, here's a middle version, and here's a more robust version. I don't work very well when somebody is like, hey, you have a problem? Here's 10 different techniques you could try. That just overwhelms me. Mm -hmm. But if somebody says to me, well, the reason that you're having trouble is this. This is the core problem. And here's the general principle that should guide what you do. And let me give you one example of that. Then it puts things in a certain order in my head that allows me to... If it doesn't work, then I can go back to the principle and maybe think about, well, what should I do a little bit differently to make it work better? I'm totally with you. I feel like I think the same way. I find theory so much more useful than advice or specific tactics because theory is generalizable, right. you know, which enables you to apply it to your own particular situation. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. <laughs> I want someone empowering me to find the way that works for me. So I absolutely love that. Yeah. I love how powerful this metaphor exercise is. And yeah. I'm so excited that you're giving us a picture of how to flesh out the parts of the metaphor and see what hidden truth it reveals to you about your own self. Yeah. How, you know, you, you can intuitively know something that your conscious mind doesn't yet know. And then when you bring that knowledge to the surface and become aware of it, it becomes so much more powerful. And then you can use it and experiment with it and apply it in all different ways. This exercise of identifying a metaphor is such a perfect example of how our intuition can know more than we consciously know. <laughs> so by identifying what metaphor feels apt and then unpacking it, we can discover stuff that we don't that we know without knowing consciously. Yes. Michelle and I are totally on the same page about honoring and cultivating the self of the individual scholar within the writing process. This is how we raise scholarship to the level of art, by recognizing ourselves as artists who have unique ways of perceiving and making sense of the world, and who have unique value to offer the world through our work. As Michelle and I move toward the close of our conversation, 
we reflected on what the implications are of this view of scholars as sacred individuals for how we as individuals can operate within the larger context of academic institutions. And we considered what personal traits we need to cultivate in order to survive in these institutional contexts. I, I feel very strongly that we have so much autonomy as scholars, regardless of your relationship to university settings. We have a lot of autonomy over the way that we understand what we do. We have a lot of power over creating spaces in the workday and in the work setting to turn our writing into a place where we practice having the kind of relationship with labor, with our fears that we want to have. Yeah. I mean, writing is almost by definition an exercise of agency. Yes. And an experiment in what could be you know? Yes. And so, especially when we think about writing expansively as not just the words we publish, but everything that we generate, everything that we put on the page. And then another exercise of agency is what we choose to publish. Yes. But the writing itself, you know, what we do alone in a room in quiet, like it can be anything. And, and no one, nobody but us gets to control that. <laughs> you know, it's just something so sacred about that. Yes, and I feel that part of what happens is that when we write, as scholars, when we're in this context of constant evaluation, of having constantly to be engaged in impression management and worrying about what other people are thinking of us because the standards for evaluation and the mechanisms of evaluation are not transparent, we orient ourselves constantly towards the approval of others. And when you do that, when you're writing alone by yourself, it's poison. It kills your ability to engage in the creativity and the risk-taking and the mistake-making that is essential for generating new ideas. We say that we want scholars to be engaged in knowledge generation, but institutions don't support the conditions that support that. And so that's where I want that demand making to come in a little bit. There are some things that scholars as individuals can do until their institutions get right. It's about what the scholar can do in the face of institutions that do not support her to actually nevertheless carve out a writing practice that, that gives them life. What you've presented to us is this this picture of what the scholarly life can be and feel like, I hear intrinsic motivation and I hear an awareness of what you uniquely bring to the scholarly enterprise. I hear you encountering challenges, pain, struggle, and working through them and not being destroyed by them or, you know, to whatever extent there's devastation and pain in life, it doesn't stop you you keep going. And so to people who are listening to this conversation, who are feeling discouraged or despairing or unmotivated or disconnected, if you had to identify one thing that enables you to be in your work the way that you're in it, what is that thing? Or maybe, maybe not the one thing, but a one thing mm -hmm. that enables you to inhabit your work in this way? I would say it's trust. You have to trust yourself and you have to trust 
your process and you have to trust the struggle inherent in the process of creating something and you have to trust that being uncomfortable is not intolerable you have to trust that you can actually endure and that's something that we build over time i mean that's a life lesson right i mean to write is to navigate and to negotiate your life and it is a space in which we can come up against and and work through the challenges that are central to what it means to be a human being and we can know that our that that's what our work is we can consciously approach it in that way and when we do that it changes the meaning of the work from just being about getting ahead and just being about getting tenure both of which are important things but maybe not the most life-giving things so it changes yeah. the meaning of our work or rather it reminds us of the deeper meaning of our work and allows us to redefine all those moments of fear and all the things that we do to move past those fears as contributing to the kind of life that we want to lead and contributing to our ability to support other people in that life because you know the the university is not designed to encourage you to operate in a way that respects and honors the whole human being and so if you want to build a life of the mind that embodies respect for you and for your body and for the impact that you want to have on the world you have to make your writing like that and it takes a long time it's it's, it's a life's work it's a practice yeah yeah and the, like virtues that we cultivate day by day yes yes and and it's the cultivation of them that brings our life meaning it's not that we're trying to yeah. get over it and get past it and get beyond it we want to get in it right mm-hmm. and give it meaning and value that other institutions and other people will try to take away you have to take it you have to take it Michelle Boyd is a genius at helping us understand how to be fully human in our scholarly process she explains how having a writing metaphor can help us navigate the writing process by giving us insights into the shape of the process as a whole and enabling us to locate ourselves within that process at any given moment You heard about how Michelle's metaphor is the gestation of a human baby, and my metaphor is an epic quest. Metaphors work as a way of making sense of our writing process for the same reason that they work as a way of making sense of our lives, because the way that humans make meaning is through connection and comparison. We learn knowledge in one domain and then transfer it to another domain. Because of Michelle's gestation metaphor, anything she understands about gestation helps her understand her writing process. Because of my epic quest metaphor, anything I understand about epic quests helps me understand my writing process. So what might your writing metaphor be? Is it a natural process like Michelle's? Or maybe a literary genre like mine? 
or maybe something else entirely. As you work through this question, another resource that you might check out is a fabulous article by Helen Sword that I will put in the show notes. Helen's article walks you through tons of different examples of metaphors that scholars have used for their work. If this episode made you as big a fan of Michelle as I am, go to her website, inkwellretreats.org, and sign up to get her emails. She periodically sends out encouraging writing-related emails, and you can get them for free by signing up on her website, inkwellretreats.org. This episode of Oracles of Academia is brought to you by Scholarship, an incubator where scholars gather to support each other in creating the most fascinating scholarship of tomorrow. Scholarship is part workshop, part resource library, part community gathering space. Our signature tool is the story argument model, a conceptual framework for designing fascinating scholarship. When you join Scholarship, you find the support and sustenance to hone a joyful, inspired writing practice so that you can create the powerful scholarship that the world needs. And you have me, Margie Thomas, cheering you on in your work every day. To learn more and apply to join us, check out scholarshape.com. If you like this episode of Oracles of Academia, hit subscribe to make sure you get every episode in your feed. Rate and review us to help others find us. Our theme music is by C. Tongue. Special thanks to Abraham Thomas Horton for being my precious child. Also, thanks to the Scholar Shapers.